0: Stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea.
1: Good Monday morning and welcome back to another episode of Your Evolving Leadership Journey with Tom Crea, your host, and today's guest is Ron Edmondson, formerly of the Leadership Network, and we'll get into that in a second, but just for everybody's awareness, everything re- related to this show is at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com, and you'll be able to find information on all of the guests, including Ron, their social media connections, the links to their books, and the links to this episode that you're listening to right now. And as you're aware, as we're talking to people who are interested in developing as leaders, and in in this case particularly, we're talking about people who are interested in servant leadership principles and ideals. And some of the things that we talk about quite often are self-awareness and humility. And again, we're going to be talking about that today because that's a, a big part of Ron's book. And he also talks about developing others and building community and we're going to get into that as well and from a different perspective because ron is a church leader and he's been doing this for more than three decades very successful at it and uh he's got a lot to share with us so ron if you don't mind tell us a little bit about yourself give the listeners the idea who you are yeah
2: the uh i've got a very diverse background as a matter of fact i'm i'm uh uh uh, out of the business world, uh, was in, uh, owned several uh, different businesses and worked in retail management, worked in grocery stores, did a lot of things in business. But then I uh, spent 16 years as a, as a pastor, and then most recently, as you mentioned, I was leading an organization called Leadership Network, which is kind of a behind-the-scenes support uh, the church, mostly working with the largest churches in America. Uh, And just recently left there to um, go kind of out on my own doing consulting and teaching and and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, uh, pretty diverse background.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much. Now, Ron, uh, I was trying to just determine from your background whether or not uh, you you had mentioned in your book that you were around a military base. And um, as I surmise, was that base Fort Campbell, Kentucky?
2: It was sure was. Uh, I was there actually in, until I was forty eight years old, and um, so uh, saturated with military uh, friendships and and uh, uh, you know spent a lot of time on the, on the base and a lot of uh, very cool experiences with with our our military.
1: Well, uh, I'm sure this is going to be a surprise to you because it was a surprise to me. Uh, I was stationed there twice, 88 to 90 and 95 to 97. So small world. We would have been there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We would have been there and and ate at some of the same restaurants, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Well, look, uh, this episode was about, uh, Ron wants to talk about the kind of leadership that revitalizes. And it could be a church. It could be any type of organization. Um, we're going to talk about myths about what it looks like to be on top and you know another things he he uh focuses on changing perspective on issues can uh make you highly effective in your sphere, sphere of influence so um we're going to talk about individual leadership skills and how you can transform the people your church or the business around you so he's already explained to you his um his background, and we're about ready to get into today's show. So, I do want to ask you one more: what What inspired you? You, you mentioned that Jesus Christ is your greatest example of leadership, and I can't argue with that at all. Um, but what inspired you to write this book, The Mythical Leader? Well, honestly,
2: I you know I, I have done a blog for many many years, and um, and before that did online devotionals and uh, it was really a uh, publisher that came to me and said hey I think this one has some traction to it so I had written the post 7 myths of leadership and and a, and a publisher really approached me about it so uh, it, I'd love to say it's some genius inspiration but that was the reality <laughs>
1: Well, you know what? My book is very, very similar. I had written a bunch of blogs, and uh, I I don't blog nearly as much as you do, but that was what was the basis for my book. Um, And and just so the listeners are aware, Ron blogs at ronedmondson.com, and that's Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N.com, without the T. So, okay, let's get into your first myth or your first chapter of your book where you're talking about um, myth number one, a position will make me a leader, okay well, I agree with that. you know one of the things I love about how you open that particular chapter is you're talking about um, and I always love when somebody can give a um, scripture reference to what forms are can uh, support their reasons for leading. so if you don't mind, talk about your first job in the grocery store and just the whole King Saul versus King David versus positional and relational you know how you just I'll let you go.
2: Yeah, you know, um, and and Saul and David happen to be two of my favorite leadership characters in the, in the Bible. I, I've actually tried to pitch several times writing a book on on just the, the contrast between the the difference in in their leadership uh, and the story that I that, that I think I started because you read it uh, uh, since I have been a, been a couple of years since I read it, but the the story I believe was in a in a department store that I was uh, uh, it was my first management job. And uh, and I really um, that honed my skills in leadership. Now, some thirty-five years later, as much as anything that I've I've ever done, because I was thrust in at nineteen years old, uh, nineteen years of age, into a managing this men's department for this large um, uh, department store chain, and uh, and I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I really didn't. And I thought because of the position that I held, the people would just naturally follow me. And, uh, and they didn't. Uh, and so, and, and a lot of times it was, I had people that were my peers working with me because they hired a lot of college students. It was there in, in um, near Fort Campbell that we mentioned earlier. And so they just thought I'm another college student. They weren't gonna um, pay any attention to me. And when you contrast that to, to, uh, to David and Saul, You just, as you read their stories, and you have to kind of read Scripture, I believe, in understanding these are real people, you know, that that have real lives, and and they're real dilemmas, just as we we have. And uh, what you see when you read it from that uh, perception of of David and Saul is, Saul just, he walked into a room and expected heads to turn. He liked it, I think, when it happened. And yet David, on the other hand, comes with this air of humility. Uh, th- th- one of my favorite David stories is, is when uh, they were about to face their enemies, and he went to God, and God says, yeah, go for it. But then he went to his men, his men said, no, we can't go for it. So he went back to, to, to uh, God again, and, you know, th- that just says so much about David's leadership. Uh, kings in those days, even kings in this day many times, uh, would never ask their men, what do you think we should do? But David did. So uh, just because you hold the position does not necessarily mean you're you're a leader.
1: I totally agree with that. Now, one of the things that you talk about in the book is you say um, you're speaking from the church perspective. Seminary prepares you for the technical part, if you will, just like any other skill, whatever profession you're going to go into, you learn all those technical skills. But. I don't know of any school that really prepares you for the ability to lead. And and then you, you touch on that in your book. It's like, Hey, you don't get this from the seminary. Some of this stuff is learning on the job experience. That's one of the things you did when you were mentoring and grooming the various pastors that you had worked with. And I would argue that's exactly what we learned. And now, you know, the, the audiences heard me say this more than once, but I'm very biased. I believe that the army is probably the best leadership development culture in the world. We not only had the, we came with our technical backgrounds in, but they actually worked on developing you to become a leader. And I, I, I'm telling you, I spent probably the first three years of my Army career in schools, and it was, it was continuous learning and how to be a better leader. So I think that's extremely uh, important. Now, you talked about how David had the humility to ask God, and that is certainly a huge um, servant leadership principle that we've been talking about. Um, You know, I want to ask you, actually, uh, part of what you talked about in that chapter is some of the things you learn from what others do and what you learn not to do. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm a proud owner of a collar extender, and you might appreciate that. So Ron shares this story, and and, and he'll pick up from here right after I I finish it. He he shares this story about how he made a $165 mistake on a six-figure-plus budget. And his management overreacted. Ron, tell us about that story, and how did that make you feel? Yeah, I so uh,
2: collar extenders. Uh, I, I didn't even know they still exist, Tom. So I I, I appreciate <laughs> you bringing that into context today. But that it it uh, you know it, it just simply extends your collar, makes it bigger. It, uh, you have a little uh, part of it that fastens onto to the button of the collar, and then uh, it forms a new button. And anyway, it was. It was a novelty thing, but it was an easy uh purchase at the at the cash register because I, I don't know how much it was, a couple of dollars or whatever it was at the time and and so you sold a lot of them, but you didn't sell a ton of them and you know you kept maybe twenty four in, uh, and I don't even remember the details again, you read it uh, since i had I had to go back in my memory to even uh crap that story the the uh The learnings from it were huge and have stayed with me forever. But uh, but some of the details I had to go back and actually ask somebody about it. But I I, I was intending to order maybe a case, and I, instead of hitting one case, the way I did it, I ended up ordering you know like twelve cases or twenty. I don't remember. But it was it was not a lot of money involved. But it we would have had collar extenders for the next forty years. You know, you never would have sold that many. So it is obviously a mistake. Uh, it wasn't a huge money mistake, but it was obviously a mistake. And you couldn't return them. It was just one of those type items you couldn't send back. So we were stuck with them, no doubt about it. And that store, uh, I should walk in there sometime and ask them if they're still selling those because they probably still have some. But uh, again, my as you said, my management just uh, just went Nuts, you know they use it as an example in meetings. they talked about it continu i mean I just never lived that down in all not in a joking kind of way, even in a disciplinary kind of way and it just humiliated me at the time and i just i I just reflect on that sometimes when, when and when people on my team have made mistakes and sometimes much bigger mistakes um I had a guy working for me uh uh, as he was ran our small groups when I was pastor once. And he says, in fact, he put it in in a, in a book he wrote about a time he wanted to do this conference for small group people. And, and I had told him, I don't know that we're a big enough deal in the church world to pull this off. I kind of t- tried to talk him out a little bit, but he was so insistent on doing it. And uh, and he, he did it, and it flopped, you know. And uh, they, that was a multi-thousand dollar um mistake, if you will. And when, when it was all said and done and we knew it wasn't going to work, he says he came into my office. I don't even remember this conversation, but he said he came into my office with his, uh, you know, head tucked between his legs and said, I am so sorry I blew this, you know, and thought he was going to be fired. And and I was just like, well, what did you learn from it? And how how can we grow from this? You know, and, and I coached him through it. He said that shaped me, uh, the rest of my life. Well, I don't know that, I would have responded that way had I not been treated that way with the collar extenders. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a great lesson there. Uh, you know, some of the, the most valuable lessons we learned are from the most painful experiences we've had. And so Ron has a painful experience and he was able to do the judo move, if you will, and twist it on its head and and treat somebody totally differently because of the negative experience he had. So that's a great mark of a leader. And thank you for sharing that story, Ron. Now, look, to close out this, I wanted to just talk about three quotes from your chap- from this first chapter of yours. And I'd like you to comment on the third one. Ron writes, to lead, we need leaders because we need people who can help us get to better places than we are today. Think about that one. Another one, he writes, leadership matters most when it is clear, it is least clear what course should be followed. Now, here's the one I'd like you to comment on. It is ultimate leadership is proven not by position or title, rather by our sacrifice. We help make life better for other people. What are your final thoughts there?
2: You know, I, I, honestly, I think that's the essence of who we're called to be as people. And uh, if you take the, the people equation out of leadership, it, it, it just doesn't work because leadership is all about people, obviously. And so if, if you don't see your role in leadership as making life better for other people, I don't even know that you can I don't even know you can call yourself a leader. You know, you, you can call yourself other. There, we, we should have other terms for that, but it's certainly not leadership.
1: Okay, hey, let's move on to your second myth, You say where you say, if I'm not, com- excuse me, if I am not hearing anyone complain, everyone must be happy. Clearly, that's a fallacy. Um, I want to remind you of the story where uh, you talk about the difference between relegate and delegate, and I love that. I'd never heard that before. So I'd like you to share what it means to relegate and delegate. And essentially, you know, you go to a church, and this woman writes you a letter, and she says, she, quote, I have been disappointed with your, meaning you, Ron, lack of presence in the development process Hmm. so if you would comment on what you learned from the experience with this woman and how it caused you to change your style because because each of these experiences i believe that you're writing about causes a change in you the person and you your behavior and you learn from it so what did you learn Ron? yeah
2: i that was a uh one of the best um People I've ever had on one of my teams, uh, she was so competent and so confident. Uh, and, and I trusted her, uh, without question. And so I had assigned a, a project to her and, and, uh, and just let her go. And I, I thought, you know, that would make her happy. And yet what it ended up, uh, doing is she felt, uh, that I had just dumped on her and ran, you know, Uh, and, and that was not my intent at all, but that was how I made her feel, uh, by, by not being engaged with her through the project, by not asking her questions about it, by not checking in with her to see if she had any, anything I could help her with that sort of thing. It just, it made her feel, um, like it wasn't as big a deal as it, as it was. And it was a big deal. It was a huge project. For our, for our church, it was something. In fact, the, I'm not at the church anymore. It's something they still use the 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 system that uh, it was a it was a system of of uh, helping new people become uh, committed, you know, members of the church. Basically, it was an indoctrination program. And she built that from scratch. She learned from other churches. She did an incredible job with it. But in the process, I made her feel. Um, uh, that it wasn't a big deal, and it, the 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 crazy thing on the other side of it, it was my idea to do it. You know, I recruited her, so it, I was very interested in it. Uh, it was just the way I led her through the process. So I learned a lot about uh, delegation. In that, uh, that, that 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 delegation involves more than just assigning tasks. You know, it, it really is uh, helping people through the process and walking with them as they as they um, as they lead.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, go ahead and explain what you meant by "relegate" when you introduced that term in your book. What does it mean to "relegate" versus yeah, it, "delegate"?
2: Well, it's more dump. You know, it's it, it's more uh, it, It's almost a term that 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 makes you uh, feel inferior. You know, you you're uh, lesser of of. Uh, uh, here's a task I want you to do. Go do it. You know, it, it's it uh, where delegation involves a um, more of a. It's more of a a peer-to-peer kind of process, if you will, and uh, they may be superior, um, uh, or they, you may be superior to them in rank, but in the process of delegating, you're elevating their importance in a task where uh, when you relegate, you just you just really dump on them, you know, it, it, that's what you assign and say, go do this, and you tell them exactly what, you know, and, and there's there's not a lot of uh, leadership involved for them, there's not a lot that they're going to grow from that, uh, it's just assigning tasks.
1: Right. Now, one of the things, uh, the big points Ron makes in this chapter is he's talking about your your knowledge of your people. People are different. You know, that, this woman, um, maybe she just needed to hear from Ron more, and not everybody is wired that way. You know, so there's some people like me, if you'd given me a task and delegated I wouldn't want to hear from you at all. And so so the, the, the moral of the story, I would argue, is, is that you need to understand your people and what makes them tick. Some people are just going to want more intention and others' people's less. Um so, Ron, the other thing you talk about, uh, you know, it reminded me. I'm, I'm, I suspect you're aware of Ken Blanchard, but he has a quote yeah. in uh, one of his books that says, "There is no such thing as the equal treatment of unequals." And I, that that when I read that quote, and it, it was popped out on one of his single page of his book, the entire page. And it just always resonated with me is that we got to treat and we have to understand people, understand their differences and treat them differently. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I just think that's just too important a point to not pass up on or emphasize. Okay. So one more question in this chapter, and I want to just, uh, you, you, you just comment on the fact that about questions, you talk about great leaders, ask great questions. Well, go ahead, please.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, questions are are key. I, in fact, I just um, I, I preached somewhere yesterday, and I, I I talked about Jesus and his power of asking questions. He asked incredible questions. Um, one th- one process I, I did uh, a couple of times is to record and document every question that Jesus asked in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, and it is incredible when you just you you take one question and you're like wow. Questions have the ability to cut through chaos and bring clarity. You know, they—they they, uh, I, I, uh, I used an example yesterday. The—the the question, "Will you marry me?" That'll change your life, right? You know, mm-hmm. so questions are questions are powerful. They make you stop. They make you think. But for a leader, they also discover things you don't know. And it, you know, obviously, anybody any leader thinks they know everything. But there's a problem there. But questions. Bring the leader uh, clarity uh, in in the midst of chaos, often chaos. Uh, so great leaders learn to ask great questions continually.
1: Exactly. And, uh, you know, that he also ties that into the fact where he talks about the the culture the leader creates impacts the feedback a leader receives. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of expressions about that in the military, that a, a unit takes on the personality of the commander. And if the commander or the boss, if in this case, is a very inquisitive questioning person questioning of themselves looking to get better you create this environment where people start feeling free to ask questions and ron you talk about that quite a bit in your book about creating this environment and culture so if you would go ahead and comment on that and we'll move on to the myth the third myth
2: yeah it's just the the um... It, it's like what you said, every leader brings their own, and, and that's okay. They, they bring their own um, kind of culture and, and their, their, their uh, uh, uniqueness to the, to the role and all that. That's, that's totally good. Uh, every leader should bring that. But uh, every leader should be thinking, okay, I need to hear from my people, and the only way I'm going to hear from them is they feel the freedom um, the, uh to, to give that without uh, retribution, to give that mm-hmm. without, um, you know, can I really be honest with you and still have my job or still have the respect you have for me? And that's, that, that's up to a leader to create that
1: absolutely now we only got a couple more minutes for br- our first break and i just uh, w- as we get into this next myth is uh, myth three i c- can i lead everyone the same way we kind of touched on that um ron you're obviously very familiar with the golden rule just a quick question have you heard of tony alessandro's the platinum rule no okay so i'll, I'll share that with you and uh, i think at that point we're just going to pause and we're going to go to break but essentially the golden rule is t- treat others the way you would want to be treated and uh, the interesting flip of this is Tony Alessandro has this uh, platinum rule, which is treat others the way they would want to be treated. So any comments on that before we go to uh, break? And then we'll be right back.
2: I, I have heard that. I didn't know who to attribute it to, but I have um, I have heard that. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, look, everybody, you've been listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Today's guest has been Ron Edmondson, we're talking about his book, the mythical leader and we will be right back after this quick break
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
3: As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others, they develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when synergy takes over and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com.
0: are listening to your evolving leadership journey to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 if you have questions or comments about the program you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com now back to your evolving leadership journey Welcome back
1: to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. We've been talking with Ron Edmondson about his book, The Mythical Leader. And and his third myth is about, can you lead everyone the same way? The obvious answer is no, you cannot. You know, uh, in this chapter, he's talking about um, a number of different people, whether they're older than you, younger than you, um, cultural differences, just so many different things. And you know one of the things that he points out in this particular chapter that I would like him to comment, particularly because of his background as a preacher, is um, he was referring to a, uh, a passage from first Samuel first Samuel chapter 7,16 verse 7. And he's talking about how the Lord looks at the heart. And Ron's suggestion to you is to consider a person's heart before considering their actions. I love that. I pulled it out. And I'd love for you to comment on it.
2: Yeah, you know, there have been so many times in leadership where somebody has done something. And I I always try to, uh, and I, I go back to probably in my retail management days more because there were just so many employees that I was supervising at the time, and and so you had so many different situations, but whenever somebody would uh, try to get away with some or make a mistake, do something wrong, whatever, I always wanted to know, okay, was that malicious, or was it um, just by mistake? You know, they didn't mean to do it, and Mm -hmm. there there was no ill intent involved, and uh, if you can discover that, it makes Mm -hmm. all the difference, because when there's a... Uh, it it kind of goes back to a, a Saul David thing when there's a, when there when the heart is not good, uh, the actions are not going to make it. Jesus talks about that. He says what comes out of your mouth is actually what it, it originates in your heart. Um, and so, getting to the heart of the matter is so incredibly important as, as a leader because you can mold somebody if they have a good heart. If they don't have a good heart, their, their intent is to, uh, it, it could be that they're selfish, could be that they're uh, prideful, could be that they're greedy, could be that they're evil, you know? Um, but, and I'm not saying that can't be changed either at all. Of course, uh, all of our hearts can be changed also, but figuring that out determines how I'm going to respond to it every single time.
1: Right. And I, and I would say, yep, I would, I would use the word attitude. You know, I would always rather work with somebody who's got a good positive attitude and a B player versus an A player with a bad attitude. So, Absolutely, all right. Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So moving on. So um, the next myth is leadership and management are the same thing. I love that because they definitely aren't my world. And Ryan talks about how leaders lead change and managers guide systems. Um Leadership is more about empowerment and coping with change, whereas management is about maintaining efficiency and complexity. So, um, you know, this is an interesting chapter because he talks about three different functions in every organization, and he talks about growth and maintenance and development, and he's very, very candid and honest in saying he prefers to develop versus the other two and it's the why that's important is because you got to know what your strengths are you got to know what to uh, assign to other people on your team so I would like you to continue with whatever wherever the spirit takes you on that one uh, what are your thoughts yeah and you know I tried for years
2: uh, I used to think I was good at growth because we we had um, uh, we had growing churches we had growing businesses and so I used to think that that was my my specialty or, or, or something I was good at uh, I've pretty much known maintenance was not my thing for uh, most of my uh, my time, and uh, it's only been in the last probably 10 years that I've realized, okay, what I'm best at is taking what's growing and making it better, or what's declining and figuring out how we can develop it in a way so that it can grow again. And that really has come with, you know, help been helpful in church revitalization and, and, and some of that. but. The one thing I would want to say, and whenever you have this conversation about leaders and managers being different, you get pushed back because some people will say, you know, no. And there's leadership within management, and there's management within leadership. Absolutely. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I like to point out to people is that we need good leaders, and we need good managers. So there's nothing wrong with good management. We've almost, in this world of leadership, talk and all the, you know, leadership's a buzz and all that, uh, we've almost dismissed good management as if there's something wrong with, with that, but there's everything right about it. You know, if, uh, I consider myself a leader more than a manager for sure, but if you put me with a good manager, we'll, we make a heck of a team and, uh, and, and we're actually that way. You know, my wife and I are that way. I'm the one that stretches things and I'm the one that, you know, uh, we're we're about to go through another significant move in in our life right now. Uh, I initiated that; she's putting all the pieces together. You know, in in making that happen, and and uh, so we make a great team in that. So I really like to point out that uh, we need good managers. If you, if that's how you're wired, if that's if you're more okay, get, build the system. Uh, you know, build the, the idea, come up with the vision, and then I'll I'll make it happen. If that's who you are to, to make it happen with kind of the heads down approach and making sure all the wheels are turning and all that, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. And and don't be ashamed of that.
1: Yeah, and when he's talking about those three uh, functions—growth, uh, ma- maintenance, and development—I would characterize them as strategy. Um, the maintenance part is the management and the development is the leadership. And, and I'm with you, Ron. I, that's my, where my heart is. I always enjoyed developing others because that's really the, the center the nucleus of your team. If you can get everybody to improve their game and to work together, um, to me, that's the exciting part about getting all those pieces of the puzzle to work together. All right. so he goes on also in this chapter, he talks about essentially time management, and he's talking about your personal time, because this is all about leadership, it's about self-awareness, your growth, and and balance is huge. Now, when you talked about church leaders, you referred to the church leaders in Acts 6 of uh, the Acts of the Apostles, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't look it up. Um, are you able to talk about Acts and explain that story? Because I don't know what happened in the early church, where where they're trying to get their everybody's lives together and, and sort out their time and keep balance. Yeah,
2: you know, in in uh, in the early church, in the uh, Book of Acts, we we learned that thousands were coming to Christ at one time, and and they uh, uh, you can imagine the chaos of trying to organize a church with. Literally thousands joining every day, and so what they actually said was, "Hey, we're going to appoint people to be good managers over them." That's not the terms they used, obviously, but to to administer uh, the feeding of of hungry people, the, the the visiting of the sick, you know, that we're going to appoint people to 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 manage those things. We're going to focus on what we've got to do, and that is to uh, to preach and, and 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 to teach, and so they. And actually, um, that's where deacons came about. Was organizing some some of that, so that they could focus uh, on what they were required to do, while others were doing some of the uh, some of the work of the church. It's right. Really brilliant. And yeah, unfortunately, the church overlooks it so many times. You know, I, uh, I have to point it out to church leaders who actually. Um, uh, are, are burnt out and stressed out because they're trying to do everything. And I'm like, have you read Acts 6? I mean, it, they, they did it. They, they did exactly. They set it up for you. You know, they, they, they made it easy for you. There it is. And yet, so many pastors uh, uh, develop this self kind of expectation. And sometimes it's the church's expectation that they're going to do everything and be everywhere. And that's just not, it's not healthy. But it, in this case, it's not even biblical.
1: Hmm. This is exciting for me. I mean, I, I think it's, like I said earlier, I, I always love when I can um, hang my hat on something in some passage in scripture to explain why this is a good idea. And uh, we're ultimately getting to the greatest delegator of all time. You know, when you can delegate something to 12 people and have it continue for a couple thousand years, I'd say that's a, is as successful as it's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so lots of lessons to learn. And, uh, and it, sometimes it just takes People like you, and I had a guest on a couple months ago, uh, twice, as a matter of fact, and I think you know him. His name's Ken Gosnell, and he's coming out with yeah. a book well done, and uh, that's about you know taking all the talents that you've been given and making the most of them, and, and sometimes people like you and Ken have been able to show me uh, parts of scripture that I guess, yeah, you know what, that's a, that really does apply to leadership, and so I love hearing those stories. All right, enough about me. Um, let's continue on to myth five. Being a leader makes me popular, and Ron talks about the loneliness of leadership and popularity versus trust, so if you would, tell us about being a leader makes me popular.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you've got to, and and when I was writing this, obviously I was thinking of a a lot of my pastor friends, um, and I don't know that none of us want to be unpopular. None of us want to be disliked. Uh, pastors, because of their calling, they they care for people. They 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 love people, obviously. Or you wouldn't be a pastor. And sometimes, if you're not careful, the love for people. Um, you know, scripture also talks about the the uh, the use of discipline and uh, and how uh, and, and the use of of um, of even rules. Rules are a good thing, you know. And holding people accountable is a good thing. And so uh, love without discipline is, is, uh, is chaos. And, um, and so, you know, I really try to talk to pastors. A lot of my pastor friends have really hard time making hard decisions in the church because they don't want to upset people. And, but the whole principle of leadership is taking people where they need to go uh But they may not even be able to see it yet, you know they may not even know where they need to go. I mean you think in a military uh sense um uh, who wants to go on to the battlefield right i mean that I mean, you, you, you'd have to be a somewhat sadistic to say i'm just g- i am just just want to run out there and get shot at you know that uh and yet sometimes you've got to take people where they may not necessarily want to go but need to go and um so yeah it, it if, if you're judging your leadership by your popularity, you're going to be very, very uh, disappointed by the results that you get.
1: Yeah. You know, that reminds me of a story. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard this. It's about the emperor and the regent. And so the emperor and the regent meet one day and they want to divide all the tasks of the kingdom. And the emperor says, you know what? I'll hand out all the rewards. And if you, and you can hand out all the punishments. So after some time and the, um, the, the, the emperor sees that all the people love the, the regent more than the emperor. And so finally what happens is the next thing is that um, the he says, you know what, let's change roles. And so the emperor is now giving out the punishments, and then the regent is giving out all of the rewards. Well, it turns out that the emperor is... Uh, uh, loved even less and uh, killed because of that change. And the region is loved even more. So I guess the moral of that story and why I share it is I always found it amusing. That you always should start off with a some being able to handle conflict and uh, discipline and all that sort of thing and, uh, and be firm and move from there. All right. So myth number six, leaders must have charisma and be extroverts. Well, you talk about that quite a bit, the difference between extrovert and introvert. And uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and just tell us about uh, what what your point of that particular chapter is, and um, we'll go from there. Well, and again, it goes back to a lot
2: of my pastor friends. I've been told, I am an introvert, and I've been told um, bluntly in in churches, uh, mostly online, but also in churches, that I have no business being a pastor if I'm introverted. Which, uh, you know, I would say, and I've worked, uh, especially with Leadership Network, the largest churches in America, the largest churches uh, pastors I know are introverted, uh, the majority of them. And, uh, and, and some of that um, is actually helpful, uh, I've written before, uh, about the helpfulness of being introverted. I'm not saying you have to be introverted to be a leader either, but you... The point of the chapter was to not dismiss somebody because they are, are normally, um, they're naturally introverted. Or an introversion does not mean you're shy. It doesn't mean you're, you're not willing to talk in front of people. It doesn't mean you're not willing to engage. Uh, it just means your preferred style is to think internally before you express externally. So you, you, you gain energy by yourself rather than with groups of people. And uh, so the, the whole point of the chapter was let's not dis, don't put a stereotype on what makes a good leader, you know, by saying, oh, they're this bigger than life person that comes into the room and everyone falls. There's some great leaders like that. Uh, that's never been my style. And I'll, I'll tend to be, you know, and we go, uh, when I lead staff meetings, a lot of times I'm the quietest one in the room. Um, I, 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 you know, I ask the question and then let people go. And, and that, that's just the style that I uh, that, that I use and that has worked for me. So um, it is introvert and extrovert, and yet the real point of, of, of all of it for me is don't stereotype what a leader has to look like.
1: Right. Now, look, uh, I, I want to share with you a couple of anecdotes. Uh, number one, when it comes to introverted versus extroverted – there have been studies out there, and I wish I could just cite them off the top of my head. I can't, but there's been research done that uh, sometimes introverts just make better leaders. Why? Because they're more introspective, and instead of believing that they have the answers right off the bat, they're more inclined to be open and ask others of what their opinions might be. So um, um, that's one point for you to come on after I tell you the second point. You wrote about Myers-Briggs in the book a couple of times, and finders, and I don't think you talk about this, but uh, essentially you believe in these assessments because because they're important for you as an individual to identify who you are because the better you understand yourself, the better you're going to be able to work with and understand others and the the other <laughs> little tidbit I wanted to share with you when it comes to myers- Briggs they when I was going through my training the um, the majority of general officers in the military have this particular Profile uh, Myers Briggs. There are two options. Uh, there are 18, 16 different possibilities, and there are four, four variables where you can be one or the other. And I'm going to go through them, and then Ron can comment from there. So either you're an introvert or an extrovert. Most generals are introverted. Either you're intuitive, intuitive type feeling, or you're sensing. You 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 think well, you 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 get things with your the five sentences. Most generals are sensors. You're either a thinking type of person or a feeling type of person. Most generals are thinking. And finally, whether you're perceptive or J judgmental being structured, the obvious one would be judge J and it's uh, so that particular profile is ISTJ. Any thoughts on how introverts, you know, I mean, the, re- I mean, you may not have seen the same research, but introverts sometimes just make better leaders. And what I just said about ISTJs for most general officers.
2: Yeah, you know, and and I'm I'm always careful not to say better or worse, you know, just because uh, uh, there's also the God equation; he can use anybody for anything, and, and 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 that sort of thing. But from from my perspective, one of the reasons introversion works so well for senior leadership, and this is just one example. Um, you, for a senior leader, you've got to be very careful. Um, with what you say because everyone hangs on your words. Um, you said this. Well, I, and people even take notes when you're talking and, te- and remind you what you said, you know, three years ago. Uh, and because of the, the importance of what a leader says and even what a leader does, introversion protects you somewhat in that uh, one of the characteristics of introversion is you, you don't speak until you think. And so you're less likely to just blurt out an idea. You, you, you process it and think about how you're going to say it and the right way to say it and who's even uh, going to be in the room. You know, when you're leading a team and you've got introverts sitting in the team, you have to bring out their ideas because they're, they're not going to talk over somebody necessarily, but they may have the best idea there. Uh, if the senior leader is introverted, then they're less likely to, um, to make statements that will be binding or uh, or people will uh, hang on until they've thought through them and the right thing to say. I used to work with a guy that was, I was shaping him to be a, a senior leader, and, and he is now, he's, he's, he's great, but at the time he was very extroverted and uh, like over-the-top extroverted. And he would make these statements. He, something would come to his mind. He'd make these statements, and people off running, you know, and, and doing things. And I'm like, uh, well, why are they doing that? Well, because you said that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and and it, and so it, it it took him a while to realize. Uh, I, one of the things I like to tell leaders is, leaders have to develop the ability to think strategically in the moment, because in, especially like in a time of crisis, or in a time of, or even a time of great opportunity. Uh, you you just have to really be careful what you say because people are going to respond to that. And again, that introversion kind of naturally protects in that because that's just how introverts are wired.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Now, um, look, when we get into his last myth here, myth seven, leaders accomplished by controlling others, uh, Ron shares a story about how he was, uh, during the first Gulf War, he's a sales manager and 90% of the the uh, deployed soldiers are male. And so he's, his particular department is not doing that great in sales. And he, well, he leads to leaders leave, followers stay, organizations stall. But let me just start the story where Ron can pick up from here. His, his boss is not really happy about it, isn't seeing what I would call the big picture, as Ron's trying to outline, and throws a spiral notebook and hits Ron in the chest. Go ahead, Ron. What happened? Yeah, he was at.
2: It was actually a, a thick, really thick. It probably weighed close to ten pounds, literally. This book oh, wow. was was big, and uh, and I was describing how um, you know our sales were down, and we were in a military town. Uh, Therefore, Campbell, I was leading all the men's uh, division for this uh, large department store, and and. Uh, you may have been one of the, may have been there at that time and, and been deployed. but uh, when half your town is military and 90% of this base was gone, you know I mean they literally were gone. And it just had a huge impact on on men's sales. The rest of the store was was kind of doing well, but men's wasn't. And this particular manager, uh, he was from corporate. He was not from our store, he was from the, the corporate office. He just didn't like any of my answers, any of my explanations, and he just literally took the book and threw it across the table, landed it in my chest, and said, "I don't accept any of these. I'm, I'm gonna come, uh, I'm gonna leave the room. When I come back, I'm, I want uh, better answers, or heads are gonna roll, or something like that, you know." Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was that day that I decided, look, life's short. I was in my late twenties at that point, but I had been. Um, uh, you know, I'd been leading a long time at that point, and and uh, I, I just I told my wife, I just said, look, this is this is not healthy for me. I don't want to do this. And and the the other part, and the bigger part to that was uh, wanting me to pass that type of leadership on to my team. So you know, get, getting me to respond that way to my team to get more out of them and uh, my sales associates and those sort of, and I just wasn't willing to lead that way. And um, so anyway, it was shortly after that, that, that uh, I don't know how many months, but it was very shortly after that that I left.
1: Right. And I, and I got to tell you, when I was reading that story, I thought, you know, nobody needs to be treated that way. We all want to be treated with dignity and respect and your choice to leave, take some courage, um, which is fine. But uh, sometimes when you you lack the courage, you stay in a place where you say followers or stay. And that's not necessarily a good thing either. But, you know, one of the lessons you learned, and this is another story that you get from the, the scriptures, and I love this story. So I want you to explain it in detail about when Christ gets angry with the money changers and how he goes about making, you make a lot of whips. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I You know, I have had that occasion so many times, but it uh, when I was, uh, I don't remember at some point. I was reading the story of Jesus going in. Of course, the story's pretty famous that Jesus went into the temple and saw that they were exchanging money, and he turns over all the all the uh tables and you see you you've probably even seen it in a uh, uh, in movies uh or videos where he's just he looks mad, you know. And I think he probably was. And he said, "You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers." And you know, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, and all that sort of stuff. So we get the visual image of Jesus responding that way, and I think that's true. But what we often miss in the story in John, uh, I think it's the second chapter, John, it says, "I sure did." It says so. Yeah, he says so. He made a whip and went into the temple. And one day I was reading that story, and I thought, man wait a minute, he didn't just run in as soon as he saw it, he made a whip. And, and so I got the visual image of him sitting on the steps of the temple making a whip mm-hmm. and, 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 and talking to God because the scripture also says he did nothing except what the Father told him to do. And so talking to God about how he's going to respond and how, to, how should, they're going to be displaying this for years. And talking about the story, how do you want me to respond? Do you want me to go in angrily? Do you want me to go and you know, have a discussion with the people and say, hey, could you stop this? How do you want me to respond? I shared that story one time in a message, and uh, in a sermon, and I, a, a teenager, 16- uh, or 17-year-old girl, the, the next week she brought me a whip that she had handmade, and she said it takes 28 hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I Excuse don't know me. that Jesus' whip took that, was as elaborate as hers. It was beautiful, but um, it takes time. And the point of that is, if you've got major conflict that you're going to have to uh, go through, spend enough time thinking about how you're going to respond, even pray through it, but but spend enough time thinking about the right approach to the conflict and the conflict will go better than just going off and responding to the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a fantastic message. And you know, the stories are always the things that we learn from and, and in Ron's book, in that chapter, he talks about how he's asked to do something that he didn't really think was important. He wanted to be focused on his sermon as he's walking through the church and finally gets there, he's making whip after whip. And finally he gets there and it ta- causes him to reframe how he's going to, uh, engage in this conflict for lack of a better word with the people on his team look I think that's just a great story for us to end on Ron we've got about 30 seconds left I want to thank you so much for being our guest today it's been fantastic and a pleasure to have you and for our listeners I look forward to you coming back next week Do you have any final comments before we got to run
2: no, I just appreciate you doing this and appreciate the opportunity to to, um, to share a little bit about the book. I uh, actually brought back some memories of writing it because it's been a couple of, out for a couple of years now and, of course, written a couple of years before that. So it was uh, great to reminisce about it. So I appreciate the opportunity.
1: All righty. Sounds very good. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.